Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. The woke madness in history education is off the rails. Well, how do we change it? McClanahanAcademy.com. And because you listen to this podcast, if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout, you get 25% off every day, all day, 365 days a year on every class at mclanahanacademy.com. So go to mclanahanacademy.com, use coupon code PODCAST at checkout, and get a real history education at 25% off. If you like this podcast and you want it without advertisements, head over to patreon.com and become a member of The Brian McClanahan Show for 10 bucks a month. You get all the podcasts ad-free, including video, and you also get a special Q&A podcast. I'm only going to answer your questions, your listener-generated episodes, through those Q&As. So head over to patreon.com, get this podcast ad-free, no ads, not even things like this, and you really do help support The Brian McClanahan Show with really cool stuff on the back end. The Founding Fathers are under attack. Who knew in 2009, when I wrote my first book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Founding Fathers, that George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and a litany of the other Founding Fathers would be under assault today? Well, I did, and that's why I wrote that book. It's my first. It's still my bestseller. Go on out and pick it up whenever books are sold online. The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Founding Fathers. You'll really enjoy it. Utah has told the federal government to shove it. This is a really interesting development, and we'll talk about it on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Well, let's talk about Utah. And, of course, a new development in the state of Utah, which has just driven the establishment status crazy, and that is Utah has passed a bill where it would allow the state to tell the federal government to shove it. Well, this particular bill relies on the principle of non-commandeering, which is really important because this is perhaps one of the most important developments of the last, say, 20 or 30 years when it comes to enforcement of the Tenth Amendment. And what do I mean by that? Well, We've got the Tenth Amendment, which has no teeth, unless the states actually make it work. And how do they make it work? They tell the general government that we're not going to follow your rules. You can do what you want, but we're not going to do it. And so let, let me get into that, because this piece at CNN shows you how ballistic the status have gone over this particular principle. And I find it fascinating. I was actually on Judge Napolitano's show 
on this very issue, and I thought this would be a great uh, time to to expand on this. Right, I only had about know, two minutes on there, so expand on this and actually get into the article at CNN and some others talking about this issue of non-commandeering. So let me say this first. The Tenth Amendment Center and Michael Bolden and Mike Mahari have done fantastic work on this. In fact, they've really been leading the charge on this over the last, say, 15 to almost 20 years now. I think the Tenth Amendment Center started in 2007. And in many ways, this was kind of unheard of, that states would actually do something like this until... Michael Bolton founded the 10th Amendment Center and really went to work on trying to craft legis legislation in the states that would make this possible. I've told this story before. 1999, I'm sitting in a room with my graduate advisor, Clyde Wilson, who, of course, was the editor of the John C. Calhoun Papers and another individual. And we were talking about federal overreach and other things. And I said, you know, we need more nullification. And this other individual said, that'll never work. Clyde Wilson said, it's always worked when it's been done. And so we've gone from that to near, what, 25 years later, a quarter of a century. At that point, you have somebody saying nullification would never work. And here we are with a form of nullification. It's not, it's not explicit nullification, but a form of nullification that has the potential to work. A quarter of a century later, we're now talking about these things openly in the states and at large, and people are starting to get it. The Federal Republic has to be maintained by the states. They have all the power. They can do these things that would block unconstitutional federal overreach, but it requires education and it requires people to understand how to do it. And again, I'll give the 10th Amendment Center credit for the last, again, nearly 20 years, really working on this issue at the state level. They think locally, act locally every day, and they're trying to get people involved in doing these kind of things. So let me get into this issue. What Utah has done is uh, they're going to say, okay, look, if the federal government passes a law that's unconstitutional, the legislature can say that bill is unconstitutional or that law is unconstitutional, and we are not going to enforce it. That doesn't mean they're saying the federal government cannot enforce it, but according to the language of the bill, it's explicit. The state will not enforce it. So this is the dirty little secret when it comes to federal legislation. Their manpower is limited. Their police powers are limited on the people that they have to actually do these things. We've seen it with several of the federal alphabet agencies. When they pass legislation, they rely on the states to enforce most of this stuff. Now, they have, of course, the attorney general, the legal arm of it. And the legal arm can go out and sue states and sue people. States, though, have the 11th Amendment. They can refuse to be sued if they want to. They can say, yeah, we're just not going to be sued. We're, just, we're not going to entertain this. They can invoke the 11th Amendment and not show up and say we're, we're state sovereign immunity. We're immune from being sued. Okay, so there's that part of it. So that, that's the other little part. That's the other little component of this. But anyways, they have the, the federal government has the enforcement arm. And this doesn't work very well for laws that are applied to individuals. So when I was on the Politano show... Uh, he said, well, wait a second here. What if the federal government passes a 60% income tax? And the state of Utah says, we'll just stick it. We're not going to enforce that. The problem is the income tax is enforced on individuals. The state really doesn't have a way to block that. So that's a whole other scenario that really does need to be handled at the federal federal level. Or we just talk about leaving the union. I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate expression of decentralization. You're just out. 
you're not going to do this anymore. But regardless, that's a whole different situation. And there's a lot of legislation that operates that way, operates on individuals explicitly. And so that becomes very difficult for the for the states to really interpose their sovereignty between them. Now, if the states had to collect that revenue, then they could, they could block it. But because individuals have to write a check or it comes out of your withholding or whatever. Now, if state agencies said, okay, we're just not going to collect this revenue, but still the individual at the end of the year has to file their tax return and say, well, this is how much money I made. Well, you didn't pay it, so you got to pay it. So that's a whole other situation. But there are things that the federal government does that the states have to enforce on a regular basis. What's going on in Texas right now is really interesting because all that Texas is trying to do is enforce the legislation that's on the books. That's all they're doing. And the Biden administration is saying, yeah, we're not going to enforce that. That's, of course, an impeachable offense, as I've pointed out on the show before. But Texas is just trying to enforce federal law. And the federal government is saying we're not enforcing that federal law. Now, that's, that's not their right to do that. If the law is there, it needs to be enforced. Texas is a member of the union, and Texas is part of that law, clearly, and they want it enforced. So there's that issue. But in Utah, what they have done is said, all right, we're just not going to use state officials to enforce federal law if the legislature says the bill or the law is unconstitutional. So you can think of a whole host of things that would be involved in this. This actually goes back all the way to the 1840s when the Supreme Court said this was 100% legal. So when I get into this article and you've got law professors or legal experts or legal historians saying, ah, this isn't constitutional. They don't know anything that they're talking about. Anything. 1842, you have a very famous case, Prigg v. Pennsylvania. Now, what happened there was, was amazing. You've got the federal government passing a fugitive slave law. That's in the Constitution. It's clearly there. You can go read it. Now, it's been now superseded. It's not part of the Constitution any longer. But in 1842, it certainly was. So the federal government passes a fugitive slave law. Slaves are running away. And there are marshals, or at least federal officials, going into these states and private individuals to try to round up fugitive slaves. The general government was requiring state law enforcement to do the exact same thing. So what states were doing is saying, number one, we're not going to use state forces to uh, round up fugitive slaves. And number two, we're going to block federal officials from coming in to do this. And private individuals, too. The Supreme Court in 1842 said, yeah, you can't really do that. You can't block the federal government for doing it because it's clearly a constitutional law. The fugitive slave law is in the clauses in the Constitution. So you can't block something that's in the Constitution, and you can't prevent somebody who has property, has ownership in this case, of going into a state to try to round up their property. Now, again, in 2024, that's heinous to us. But in 1842, this is the way it worked. But what the states could do, the Supreme Court said, is not use their own law enforcement officials, their LEOs, what we call them today, to round up fugitive slaves. In other words, they can say, yeah, okay, you can have your federal marshals come in here, round up people. You can have other individuals come in here and do it. But we don't have to use our law enforcement in Pennsylvania to do it. Now, that is huge because, again, so much of federal law is enforced by the states. So, if Utah says all of these things are unconstitutional and none of our state agencies or law enforcement officials are going to enforce them, you have just gutted 
a tremendous amount of federal law. It's huge. Now, what they do say as well is, I mean, what they're not saying is we're going to block federal officials from coming in and doing it. This is what other states have done with drug legalization and things. It's not really legalization. It's decriminalization. They've said, okay, in Colorado, we're not going to enforce these federal drug laws because they're unconstitutional. State officials aren't. But if you want to send in the feds to do it, well, then go ahead. You know what? The federal government, the the, uh, DEA has so few agents, they can't worry, they can't shut down every dispensary in the state of Colorado or Washington or else. They don't have the manpower to do it, so they don't. And if state officials, see, the DEA gets involved, they recall, the okay, DEA has to go and make a raid on this dispensary. They call up the state police. Come on with us, we're going to do it. State police says, yeah, you can go by yourself. So you got like two or three guys going in. It's not going to happen. They're not going to be able to do it. So that's that. They're not saying you can't enforce federal law on federal property. That's a whole other situation. You've got, uh, I mean, that becomes another monster in and of itself. But what they are saying is on state land, and state officials are not going to be forced, commandeered, into uh, this situation where we have the federal government passing unconstitutional laws. So this, uh, there was actually a, another Supreme Court case of Samuel Alito, had a, I'm sorry, Antonin Scalia, I'm sorry, Antonin Scalia had a major decision in this, uh, the Prince case, which said, yeah, non-commandeering is uh, is the law of the land. I mean, this, you, the states don't have to enforce federal law. They don't have to use their own resources to do it. The federal government can, but the states don't have to. It's huge, because the Supreme Court said this in 1842 as well. So what Utah has done is 100% constitutional according to the Supreme Court. According to the Supreme Court, this is the case. Now, we know that a lot of these federal laws are redundant. They're 100% redundant. We know that there's already state laws that have to do with these things, and state law enforcement officials can enforce those laws. But we know, for example, federal laws against murder are redundant because the states already have that. I mean, and the criminal code in the U.S. Constitution is limited to just a few things. I mean, there's really not much there for the federal government to do in terms of a criminal code. Most of this is done at the state level. So that's the dirty little secret in all of this. But we've got a bunch of legal scholars, constitutional scholars, experts saying, oh, this is a supremacy clause. So let me get into the CNN piece because it's absolutely hilarious. The piece says, Utah's new Sovereignty Act sets up a process to overrule the federal government. But is it constitutional? This is Eric Levinson, who I have no idea who Eric Levinson is. He's um, some writer at CNN. A bill recently signed into law sets up a process for the state to overrule or otherwise ignore federal rules and decisions. The latest move in a Republican-led push against what they see as federal overreach. The Utah bill introduced as the Utah Constitutional Sovereignty Act was signed into law by Governor Spencer Cox on January 31st. Amazing, right? I, so when I was when I was looking at this first, um, I, I thought it had not been signed. It had been signed into law, so I, I made a mistake. The legislature may, by concurrent resolution, prohibit a governor, a government officer, I'm sorry, from enforcing or assisting in the enforcement of a federal directive within the state. If the legislature determines the federal directive violates the principles of state sovereignty, the law states. 
So let me read that again. This is a quote directly from the legislation. The legislature may, by concurrent resolution, prohibit a government officer from enforcing or or assisting in the enforcement of a federal directive within the state if the legislature determines the federal directive violates the principles of state sovereignty. Now, it says a government officer. The government officer, as the bill clearly states, see, I read the bill and I didn't read this part of it, but as the bill explicitly states, is a state official. It says nothing about the federal government. So in other words, the federal government can come in. They could send in the FBI, the DEA, the ATF, whoever. I mean, those people could enforce federal law if they if they deem it necessary to do so. But the state is not going to use any of their officials, law enforcement officers, anything, any government officers to enforce unconstitutional federal law. This is huge because, again, most of what the federal government passes has to be enforced by the states. So if the states refuse to do it, the federal government can't really enforce any of its legislation. For its supporters, the law is another method of standing up to the federal government. Balancing power between state and federal sovereignty is an essential part of our constitutional system, Governor Cox said in a statement. Now, Governor Cox, like Governor Abbott, is mistaken in this. There's no federal sovereignty. There's only state sovereignty. Sovereignty cannot be divided. Now, this is something that the founding generation talked a lot about. Madison came up with this notion of dual sovereignty. Well, the federal government is sovereign in its sphere and the states are sovereign in their sphere. No. In fact, what was pointed out later on is you really can't have that. You can't have two governments that are sovereign occupying the same territory. One has to be sovereign or the other. One has to have complete authority or the other. And if you look at the Constitution, this is what Southerners started pointing out, people like John C. Calhoun. If you look at the Constitution, you can't in any way determine that the federal government is sovereign. It has powers, it has authority, it has supremacy, but supremacy is not sovereignty. It has supremacy in certain areas that are delegated to it. By who? By the people of the states or the states, in this case the states, because it's a compact between the states so ratifying the same. So it has powers, it has it has. Uh, It has supremacy in areas that are delegated to it. But if those powers are delegated, they can be rescinded. A sovereign power is the only thing that can do that. The federal government can't rescind the powers of the states. The federal government can't do anything without the authority of the states. Anything. Now, it only has the powers that are given to it by the states. This again is the dirty little secret. The states can abolish the whole darn thing. They could get rid of the general government tomorrow. They could call a convention and abolish the federal government. That means it has no sovereignty. So when Cox says we have federal and state sovereignty, no, no, no. We have state sovereignty. We have the sovereign people of the sovereign states. That's all we have. We don't have any federal sovereignty. We have federal supremacy in certain areas, meaning that they are supreme in those areas when they're in pursuance of the Constitution. That's the other dirty little secret of the Supremacy Clause. 
all laws made in pursuance of the Constitution. The federal government is sovereign, but not in those all treaties or laws that are in pursuance of the Constitution are sovereign. Those that are not are not, right? So then the federal government is not sovereign there. Sovereignty has to come from an entity, right? So you have the states. What can the states do? Let's Again, let's talk about this. I've, I've said this many times in this podcast. Go back to 2016, 17. I've talked about this for a long time. Eight years. Eight years I've been doing this show. What can the states do? Well, states created the central authority. It didn't create the states. The central authority did not create any state. The states created a government. They created a central authority to do things collectively that they thought would be better done that way. Notice, even in Article 1, Section 10, the states can still do those things with permission from Congress. Congress, as the ambassadors of the states, as the agents of the states, getting together and saying, yeah, the states can do this because they need to right now. There are other things, of course, in Article 1, Section 10, the states can do in certain instances, meaning they haven't gotten rid of these powers overall. They've just said the central authority is better off doing these things for us collectively. So the states created the central authority. What else can the states do? They can also create cities. They can create counties. Central government can't create any of that. The central government can't create a state. Only the people can do that. This is what Calhoun pointed out in the admission of Michigan in the 1840s. Look, the central government can't do anything with the state. The states are the creations of the people therein. The central government doesn't create states. doesn't create any of them. It sets rules. Well, in order for it to be a state, it should be this. But it doesn't create states. Only the people thereof do that. So we have this very... I mean, look, Cox is extremely wrong on this. We have a Lincolnian infection in America. That we have a sovereign central authority. We have nothing of the sort. We have a government. We have a government that has powers. And it operates on individuals and states. That was actually brought up in Philadelphia. Well, wait a second. You're creating a government that can operate directly on individuals. That becomes really dangerous because how do you stop it? This legislation, Cox said, gives us another way to push back on federal overreach and maintain that balance. Well, look, federalism is a balance. The general government has powers limited to Article 1, Section 8 generally. And the states have all the, uh, all the rest. So let me, the rest of the piece is where it gets really funny. I mean, look, Cox is wrong on this, 100%. We can argue this case of federal sovereignty, state sovereignty, Madison's dual sovereignty. Madison's dual sovereignty is a nightmare. It's incoherent, and it's really bad logic. You can't have two sovereigns occupying the same spot. It just doesn't work. One has to be sovereign or the other. And nothing's changed with the Constitution. You can say, well, McClanahan, what about that 14th Amendment thing? Well, we know how the Supreme Court originally interpreted that. Who are all Republicans who are around the thing was passed? It isn't interpreted the way that the modern Supreme Court has done it. Okay, so uh, that's a whole other can of worms. But Madison's dual sovereignty is a dual nightmare. So this is when the piece gets really funny. Yet the push may stand in conflict with the U.S. Constitution's Supremacy Clause, which states federal laws take precedence over state laws. False. That's not what it states. 
It says federal laws are supreme when they're made in pursuance of the Constitution. And the state is not saying that you cannot enforce these laws, federal government. We're just not going to do it. You can send in your DEA. You can send in your FBI. You can send in your IRS, your ATF, or whatever you want. You can do that. We're just not going to use our state police or sheriffs or anything else to do this. We're not going to use any state officials and the state government to enforce any of these things. You do it yourself. You know what's going to happen? They don't have the manpower. And so those things won't get enforced. This is basically a soft form of nullification. And it's a constitutionally and legally correct form of nullification. It works. Robert Keitner, a law professor at University of Utah's S.J. Quinney College of Law, said he was skeptical the Sovereignty Act was constitutional. Robert Keitner is an idiot. Because Robert Keitner, or Keitner, whatever the heck his name is, Keitner, clearly doesn't even understand the, the case law involved in this and what Utah is doing. The Supreme Court has already upheld this method. Uh, I'm skeptical this works. Why? Because I don't know anything. I'm a dope. This sends the message, and the Utah legislature is, a, is famous for sending messages of this sort, that it's unhappy with the federal government, and it's expressing that in a way that is constitutionally problematic, he told CNN. Constitutionally problematic. It's not constitutionally problematic at all. The Supreme Court's already said it's not. Heck, Forget about Scalia, which, oh, well, Scalia is just a conservative. He's Let's go back to the guy who wrote the majority opinion in 1842 in the Prig case. That would be Joseph Story. Joseph Story, who was a nationalist who, did, who, who loved to knock down the states. In this case, he's saying, well, yeah, we're knocking down the states, but we're not really knocking down the states because you don't have to enforce these federal laws if you don't want to. Joseph Story, the nationalist. Joseph Story, who never found a situation he didn't like where he could take down the states, does it in a way here that allows the states to do something like Utah just did. Let's just go to that. Joseph Story, who made more money on his commentaries of the Constitution than he did as being a Supreme Court justice, who was considered one of the most important legal scholars in the history of the United States. I have problems with Joseph Story. In fact, I've got great McClanahan Academy classes on this very topic, but... Joseph Story would have looked at this law and said, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I mean, the legislature can pass these things, and we're just not going to do it. We're just not going to enforce these things. You can send in your people all you want. You can enforce it, but we're just not going to do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. 
Book your stay today at LQ.com. So Robert Keitner, or Keiter, whatever that his name is, Kreitner, Keitner, Keiter, who cares? Robert K. has said, it's problematic. That's the that's academic speak for, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to say, uh, this is problematic. Whenever you see an academic say something like, well, this is, uh, this is problematic. Um, that means they really don't know um, they, they are just kind of scratching their head about it. They, they don't really have a clue, but yet they're going to say something because, well, it gets them on CNN. With the bill, Utah joins a long-standing small C conservative push to promote states' rights, particularly with when the federal government is controlled by the opposing party. It's a debate going back to the original founders of the U.S. Constitution. Through the nullification crisis of 1832-33, when South Carolina tried to avoid paying federal tariffs, and into the southern states' attempts to avoid racial integration in schools in the 1950s. It goes all the way back there. Actually, this goes all the way back to before the Constitution, when you get to efforts against the Stamp Act and other things, right? The Intolerable Acts, the Coercive Acts of Massachusetts. I mean, this is what's going on there. The, the states at that point, with the legislatures of the colonies, I mean, you could say there were states. In fact, Patrick Henry in 1765 calls Virginia independent of Great Britain, which is cool. But you can go all the way back to there and say, well, they're just not going to enforce unconstitutional mandates from the, from the parliament. I mean, they had their own legislatures, which were equal with the legislature of Great Britain. In this case, what the legislature of Utah is saying is we are equal with you, U.S. Congress. We're an equal legislative body. We're not a subordinate legislative body, just like the state courts are not subordinate to the federal courts. We're equal. We are equal. But notice what they did here. Well, it goes back to there. Now, we could we could have all kinds of issues of nullification. Notice they didn't bring up any efforts to oppose slavery or uh, any efforts by the North to, uh, to try to thwart any kind of legislation at all. It's all uh, South Carolina and Jim Crow and everything else because that's the gaslighting. That's the effort to make you think that this is just one thing. It's just about race. It's all about race. And it's just a bunch of crazy conservatives. Most recently, Texas and the U.S. have been in a legal battle over security at the U.S.-Mexico border, historically under the federal government's control. No. It's not historically under the federal government's control. Historically, it was under state control. Usurped by the general government, but it doesn't mean that the states can't do these things. States can secure their own borders. They have to. It's actually in the Constitution for them to do it. When they're invaded, they can they can stop an invasion. Article 1, Section 10 says this. They can stop an invasion. They can secure their own border. Last month, the Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to four in favor of the federal government, but the tight vote suggested the principles of the Supremacy Clause might be in a degree of flux, according to CNN Supreme Court analyst Steve Vladek. Well, Supremacy Clause in what way? That razor wire is on state property. So therefore, because it's on state property, the federal government has no control over it. The states can go put razor wire on any state property they want. <laughs> the federal government can't do anything about it. So they have this Eagle Pass area that the state controls. And they're saying, well, if you come into this part, 
well, then you're on state land, and therefore we're going to ask that you produce your papers. We're going to send you back. We're going to build the wall. We're going to do whatever we want on state land. That's what we're going to do. And you know what? The federal government can't stop it at all. It's a dirty little secret. They have no power to do it. Utah Senator Scott Sandel, who sponsored the Sovereignty Act, said he hoped the bill spreads to other states. So do I. I think Scott's right on point here. I think any state should be looking at adopting this, he told CNN in an interview. Don't you want a real organized way in your state to vet these things and look and say where the federal government is overreaching? No matter which party or which ideology you espouse, this could be helpful in any state, in my opinion. Absolutely, Scott Sandel. Scott Sandel for whatever, you know, governor of Utah, whatever it is, right? Scott Sandel is 100% right. I mean, don't you want, it doesn't matter where this is. I, I love this statement by Scott. It's, the, it's one of the best statements I've seen from a state legislator in a long time. Scott Sandel is thinking locally and acting locally. It's wonderful. Sandel said he modeled Utah's Sovereignty Act on a 2022 bill out of Alberta, Canada, simply pushing back on what they saw as federal overreach. Now, Canada is really interesting because Canada has these kind of things already baked into their constitution, but so does the U.S. Constitution, right? I mean, it's got the 10th Amendment. <laughs> in Utah, with a Republican supermajority, the bill was introduced at the start of 2024 and passed in the House by a 57-14 to 14 vote and the Senate by a 24-5 vote. Sandel described the Sovereignty Act as a process bill rather than a policy bill. Argument really creates a formalized process, a concurrent resolution passed by the legislature for the state to challenge or overrule certain federal laws. Quote, our attorneys have indicated to me that the process that's in place is constitutional, he said. It doesn't have a constitutional issue simply because it's a process. Any kind of resolution may or may not be deemed constitutional. Yet he had certain, had certain policies in mind. In particular, he mentioned a dispute with the Environmental Protection Agency's Good Neighbor Rule, a regulation to cut down on smog and air pollution crossing state lines. Now that one's going to be an interesting one, right? Because what happens? So the state, does the state have to enforce the, the regulations of the EPA or is it private industry? You know, you get the EPA to come into a factory, for example, and say, hey, guess what? You're, you're polluting too much. The EPA officials will show up at the private business. What is the state going to do with that? Now, if the state is, doing, is, is enforcing these things, then it could just say we're going to stop. But then the EPA can come in and do it. I mean, so this gets into a really, it's a gray area here, but... The other issue is, is the EPA even constitutional? Of course it's not. But that's a whole other story, right? Once it starts operating on individuals, though, or individual businesses, that creates another mess that the state really can't block. This has to be done at the center, or you just have to get out of the union. Utah has also been in a fight with the federal government over control of public lands regarding three national monuments, namely Bear Ears, Grand Staircase, Escalante, and Northeast Canyons, and Seamounts Marine. And as a heavily Republican state, the legislature has taken up national partisan positions such as opposition to diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Well, the state could block all this stuff. But again, you get into this issue of what can the federal government do to enforce this from the AG, right? So this gets this is going to get kind of messy. But when it comes to enforcement of federal, using state resources or officials to do these things, they're 100% in line with this. Their lawyers are exactly right. You don't have to use state resources to do any of this. Representative Brian King, a Democrat running for governor, voted against the bill. 
In an interview with CNN, he said he believed Utah's disagreements with federal rules should be resolved in federal court rather than this new legislative process. Quote, I was, I was and still am worried that the bill is going to be used as a political or partisan cudgel as opposed to a dispassionate and analytical tool, he said. Well, the Democrat, of course, wants more federal. We've got to go through the courts to do all this stuff. No, you don't have to. I mean, this is what people had pointed out before 1832. You don't have to. Look, Jefferson and Madison said that. Kiter, the law professor, said the bill is symbolic for now. If the legislature actually passes a concurrent resolution and overrules a federal regulation, then it will likely be overturned due to the supremacy clause, he predicted. Maybe. But maybe they're doing it and they're just saying, all right, we're just not going to enforce this. You know, the dirty little secret about South Carolina, the little thing that people miss about South Carolina in 1832-33, they nullified the tariff, yes. They said it was unconstitutional. We're not going to allow you to collect the tariff. In fact, they were arming themselves to prohibit collection. But they also said, we're not going to collect it. The other thing they did is after the federal government passed the force bill, they South Carolina nullified that and then adjourned. They kept nullifying, and it was not put into place. So, Still, there could be other costs to the state. For one, litigating the bill's legality in the courts is expensive. Second, the legislation says state employees could be directed to follow state law rather than federal law, putting individual workers in a bind. Yes. Because, well, they work for the state, the sovereign party in the compact. State employees would be between a rock and a hard place in terms of pursuing what's clearly the federal law in this sort of a situation or complying with the state law. If they don't comply with state law, it potentially puts their employment at risk, he said. Despite the criticism, Sandahl said he believed the act was part of the long debate over American federalism. Now again, state employees have to follow state law, and in this case, that would be the correct thing to do. This debate has been going on for the whole time of our country. Does it ebb and flow? Absolutely. Is it something that I think states still need to be cautious of? You bet, he said. Of course, Sandal is 100% correct. This bill is a perfect example of thinking locally, acting locally, and doing what's necessary to block federal overreach because you're just not going to let the federal government commandeer state officials, officers, to enforce unconstitutional federal laws. It's perfect. And again, I'm going to give credit to the Tenth Amendment Center, who may have had part of this. I think they probably did. And kudos to them. This is great stuff. That's why you should be following them all the time. All right. See you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.